0: Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tinellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and Enjoy as a writer, I understand that good storytelling isn't always a matter of a cohesive or propulsive plot. Good storytelling, and therefore what makes a story or novel stand out from others within its genre, is the act of taking a common plot, for example, a murder mystery, and telling that story from a unique point of view. And in the case of my next guest and his follow-up novel to a highly successful award-winning debut, it doesn't get more unique. Rob MacDonald, also known as R.W.R. MacDonald, is the award-winning author of the 2019 novel The Nancys a murder mystery featuring an 11-year-old Nancy Drew fan who teams up with her babysitter uncle and his boyfriend, forming their own amateur detective club called The Nancys in order to solve a high-profile murder case. The Nancys earned Rob the Nagel Marsh Award in 2020 for Best First Novel. It was also shortlisted for Best First Crime Novel in the 2020 Ned Kelly Awards and was highly commended in the 2017 Victorian Premier's Literary Awards. This year, Rob is back with a follow-up to the Nancys called Nancy Business. Tippy Chan, along with her uncles Pike and Devon, are also back, reforming the Nancys to investigate an explosion which rocks the town of Riverston. Listeners, I have to tell you that this was one madcap, irreverent and often hilarious read that had me hooked from start to finish. A total must read. And so it is with great pleasure that I welcome Rob to the podcast today. Hi, Rob.
1: Hi, Claudine. Thank you so much for having me on the show and for that introduction. It was amazing.
0: I'm so glad. (laughs) I'm delighted to have you. So, Rob, this is my first introduction to Tippy and her family and what a thrill it was for me to meet them all. I'm not exactly sure what I was expecting when I started reading it, but I assure you it surpassed all my expectations. So I wanted to ask you, given the huge success of the Nancy's, were you worried that it wouldn't live up to the bar set by your debut?
1: Oh, firstly, thank you so much. And I'm um, I'm so pleased to hear from a reader who has read this as a standalone because Nancy business, you can definitely read it as a standalone. So I was kind of juggling those two things where I wanted those readers of the Nancy's who who loved it to have a, a you know a richer Reading experience with Nancy Business, but then I also wanted to allow those readers who wanted to just jump straight into Nancy Business to still have that, you know, a really good reading experience. So that was great to hear that. Thank you. I was lucky with the Nancy's. It came to me, I first sort of started learning about the Nancy's in 2006 when I first started. I wanted to write a murder mystery, and then I had this internal dialogue um, which was from a child and it was a child investigating a murder and so I started just following that that thread and it was quite organic how it all came about that's you know it was that whole thing of I'm a parent there was that thing of who would allow a child to do this and of course you know we could have had a kid doing it on their own and you know there's that great show now on Apple TV is at home before dark where well, you've got, she's a, a journalist and I, she's quite young, but for me, it was okay. She's got these irresponsible babysitters. It's her uncle. He's escaped from this town. And then the whole sort of story started to flow from that. But what I found back in 2006 was there was a much larger story as well from Tippy's point of view. And so for me, I sort of quickly realized this is this would be a trilogy. So when it came to writing the second book, Nancy Business, I already had a sort of a blueprint of where I wanted to go, what what was going to happen with these characters and in particular Tippy to get to the point I needed them all to be for for that last book for the for the for this overarching story. So in a way I was kind of lucky to be able to write the, you know, the dreaded book two that we hear about with characters that I knew very, very well. Like they had been in my head for ten years before I started writing, with a, a a sort of a a sketch of how I wanted the book to go. But I did have to put any kind of expectations from The readers and feedback around the Nazis to one side and really follow the story and that was difficult because you do this part of you I mean you know I come from a people-pleasing background (laughs) and uh, you know you want and it's like no I I honestly I just have to be true to the story or this is not going to
0: work well what can I say such a fun and interesting premise that you've got there for these stories so Going back to 2006 when you said that you had the idea for this story, so I wondered when The Nancys was published, do you think that the finished product ended up the way that you envisaged it would?
1: Uh, For The Nancys? Yes, yeah. No, no, I was thrilled with, uh, because I had a structural edit from Ronnie Scott, Kate Goldsworthy did the copy edit, and, you know, this was my first time around, so I'd never had people... You know, I remember getting the structural edit and really not me for a six, but not because of Ronnie's work. It was more, it triggered all those psychological things around what had stopped me from writing for years. And I wasn't expecting that. And I was lucky up until that point, I'd sort of managed to go go under the radar and avoid that somehow. But to have someone spend that much time and go so deep into your work was such a privilege like it was incredible so for the Nancy's yeah I was really happy with that product it was that sort of thing where I read it through to the end and thought you know this feels special and it was funny with Nancy business it was kind of down to the wire as and through the the structural it got better than the copy edit but it wasn't until the end of the proof where I was just making those last-minute things. And I remember with the copy edit, I'd got that final bit which ties it all together in that final sort of page, really. And so by the end of the proofs, it was like, yeah, I'm proud of this. But it was funny. It was sort of down to the wire um, with that one. I don't know why, but um, it eventually, yeah, it got there to the point where, yeah, this is the story. Um
0: happy with this. So I know I've given a little bit of an outline of what these books are about but for those readers who have yet to discover Tippy, can you give us more detail about Nancy Business? It
1: starts um, at the one-year memorial for for Tippy, who's a 12-year-old. It's the start of school holidays as well and it's the one-year anniversary of her father's death. Her uncle and uh, his boyfriend Devon are back in town, and this is the first time they've been back since Christmas, which is where the first book, The Nancys, finished. Tippy's mum, they have a interesting dynamic and relationship. Tippi, when she was, uh, you know, for most of her life, her dad always played the good cop her mum the bad cop, and now they're still finding their way without having that... Person in that dynamics, and now it's you know the two of them. Plus, because of debts left by Tippy's father, Tippy's mum has to work a lot. So she works as a nurse, and um, so Tippy almost feels abandoned sometimes because of that. But you know, Tippy's mum's keeping them afloat. So that's sort of all all happening at the beginning, and then Tippy staying with Uncle Pike and Devon. With the school holidays, helping them, they've bought the local murder house and they're renovating it. They're staying in an in a Airbnb, and it's one of those Airbnbs that the Wi-Fi doesn't work, it's got a strange smell. There's sort of, you know, those creepy kind of ornaments. Um, so there's like a wooden doll with no face on a wide tricycle. Those kind of, you know, one of those Airbnbs. <laughs> and um, anyway, in the middle of the night, there's a massive explosion in the middle of town. And so they race to it. And uh, not to give any spoilers, but a bomber is quickly identified. He died in the blast. He's a local. He's well-liked within the town. So there's all this shock and grief within the town and, you know, trust also we're looking at that. But Tippy and the Nancy St- sort of there's something that doesn't feel quite right. So they reform to just take another look at this closed case.
0: I loved this book from start to finish. Now, Tippy Chan is an incredibly unique character. She's smart, she's sassy, and incredibly strong-minded for a 12-year-old girl. She's also incredibly proud of who she is and her family, which I loved. So I wondered if you could tell me about Tell me about your inspiration for Tippy's character.
1: Yeah, sure. So, again, going back to 2006, I, I quickly realised it was a girl, not a boy, and that was just, you know, through writing. And so then I was wondering who was, who was this child. Uh, and I work in international education, and one thing that I just think international students really don't get enough of a shout-out in Australia is just how incredibly courageous they are uh, you know a lot of them are coming here with english as second language some you know for for a lot they're first and family they're carrying the weight and expectation of that family to you know forge ahead yeah i just think they're they're just such wonderful incredible humans so i wanted those qualities for tippy which is where Tippy's um, father, Joe Chan, so Wei Fan Chan. So he was an international student. He studied in Dunedin. That's where he met Tippy's mum, who is Pakeha. The same um, Uncle Pike as her brother, and she was studying as a nurse. And so for for Tippy's determination, stubbornness, I guess also bravery. You know that was coming from her mum. So this sort of mixture, I wanted us to be able to look at Tippy's parents and then see those qualities that she's inherited as well as Tippy's mum says about how she didn't know where Tippy gets it for her, you know, wanting to solve mysteries or being able to see through things or, or pick up. So, you know, Tippy, when she was very young, you know, staking out at Christmas Eve to see what was happening with the presents under the tree, for example, um, she's that kid. And then tying her and with the love of Nancy Drew, just really helped kind of give her that mystery role model. As well.
0: Now, Tippy's uncles were not only her family, but in many ways, they felt they were her best friends and her co conspirators. And in this book, Tippy has occasion to observe their relationship up close. Is Pike and Devin's relationship and what that looks like from a 12 year old's point of view something you consciously wanted to explore and why?
1: Yeah, definitely. Part of the reason is again, you know, obviously, I'm aware of spoilers, so I'm going to try as much not to put spoilers through when tippy first meets them she has her two best friends from school so she's got todd and sam and then through the course of the nancy's unfortunately things happen there and i won't go into spoiler details but by the time we get to Nancy business, she is sort of on her own. She doesn't have really that any close friends her her own age. And through the Nancys, they bonded. Um, she bonded with her uncle in Devon. And part of the reason why they sort of investigated a murder with an 11-year-old was they didn't, up until now, didn't really have much to do with children at all. So they kind of treated to be like a pair and you know sometimes that was good sometimes that wasn't so good so they have bonded so tippy does see them as friends and obviously family she particularly you know relates to devon sort of almost like an older sister so for her then to see this adult relationship it's almost this coming of age where a child starts to see the adults around them not so black and white that there are shades of gray that nobody's actually perfect or you know, one way or the other. So I think there was there was part of that coming of age and also part of that, I guess, you know, there's only so much you can shield a child from in the adult world. But it's also that thing, kids are always observing. And this, you know, I know when I was a child, I knew so much more about my parents' relationship than they would ever realise. And I'm talking in terms of highs and lows and, and that kind of thing that they think, you know, it's that whispered argument that you, they don't think is being heard. I thought it was important not to sugarcoat that or not to pretend to be as blind to that. I mean, she's she's out there solving mysteries. She's super observant. So it's sort of, I guess, that that uh, negative side of being super observant is you're going to pick up on all of this stuff.
0: Further to that, I wanted to just, delve into this mystery around uh, well not really mystery but also typically trying to come to terms with her father's death so not only is she trying to solve the mystery behind the explosion but she's also trying to come to terms with what happened to her father and in the process learns that the adults in her life have been lying to her there's a lesson in there somewhere for parents about possibly underestimating a child's <laughs> understanding of the world around them so I'm guessing this is something you also consciously wanted to explore.
1: Yes, and this is something to do with that larger story I was talking about as well. I wanted to explore that that blind spot that I think we all have because when Tippi does find out something about her father and she reviews the last year, it's like the signs were all there. It was just sort of she had... Chosen not to to go there, and then you know we find out later why. So I, I don't want to sort of give that away too much. Not that what is said about her father is, is you know it's something that should be spoken about and um, you know dealt with. And that was the juggle, I guess. So was making sure that I respected what had happened, and then also that when we find out it's it's something, potentially something else, that that isn't like a, a yay moment, that is like, okay, so then this is what this is, which I know sounds very cryptic to those <laughs> who haven't read it, but, um, yeah, I just want them to be able to go through Tippy's journey with that. But I was super conscious of that and it was like, how do I do this? the most respectful way I can.
0: Tell me about the setting of of these books. It's in a little town somewhere in South Otago. And so tell me why I set your books
1: there. Yes, Riverstone is a fictitious town. It's uh, based on Balclutha in South Otago. So I chose Riverstone as an homage to River Heights, which is where Nancy Drew lives. I grew up about half an hour drive from on a sheep and deer farm so it's a place that i i've known all my life and you have tippy who's growing up there um you have uncle pike who escaped when he was 16 and has massive baggage with it and then you also have devon who's seen it for the first time or you know has those sort of tourist eyes because of my relationship with that place that's that's why I said it there because then I'm able to kind of show it through those different lenses. I have certainly moved on a lot um, from from where Uncle Pike sees it, but I do remember as a teenager and before I travelled overseas, I just, oh, yuck, I want to get out, you know, ill. It's a place where my, my dad and my stepmom lived for, oh, over ten years when he he sort of semi retired from the farm so I know it really well and the people are fantastic there tippy's house is where um, is based on that on the house where my dad and stepmom were and that sort of our little place up on the hill so yeah it also meant when I started riding it it was a place I knew straight away so I was able to do that and then because I you know would go home regularly I could do field research and and go to the different places that I'm talking about and get those sensory details, which just add that that sort of depth. Yeah, so it was quite interesting, actually, once I'd, you know, because I'd spent so much time then actually going back to the physical place, and I was just like, oh, wow, this
0: is... <laughs> uh, I really loved it, and I loved the map that was at the beginning of the book, so it really gave us a good sense of what the town looked like and where okay. all the various buildings were and and how Tippy and, and Pike and Devon actually you know sleuth things out. I thought that was very clever, really. Oh, great. that's
1: awesome. Thank you.
0: What kind of other research other than the physicality of, you know, moving around the place that it was set. What other research did you have to do?
1: Sure. So, Nancy Drew research, reading those books, looking for, you know, where where I mention it or where where the characters mention it, I need to make sure that it's contextual. So, for those um listeners that haven't obviously read the book yet, both Tippy and her uncle Pike have this massive love of Nancy Drew. So for them, it almost becomes the sort of code language that they can sort of share. And then you have Devon, who is like the reader who isn't up with Nancy Drew, kind of there trying to guess what they're talking about. So yeah, so there was Nancy Drew research. I also worked with a Nancy Drew researcher in the States called Jen Fisher. Um, she's fantastic. She is the film and television um, go-to person as well. Remember, there's a Nancy Drew project. Mm-hmm. And she's just, yeah, she's absolutely wonderful. So I could like ask her questions and she'd come back with these examples and I'd go away. So that was cool. What else? Oh, because of the nature of the explosion, I was so scared to use... Google because I,
0: research? <laughs>
1: yeah, I know right because I was just expecting a knock at the door right so you know I'd go to the library I was working for Deakin University at the time so then you know trying to talk to engineers or Netflix and uh, you know those documentaries and things like that so there's research there and then on the mental health aspect so definitely did uh, research around children and when there is a tra- like a traumatic event like terrorist event how should you talk to them what what are they going through the same with talking to children around suicide so all of that was yeah i had to research that because i wanted to make sure i was getting that stuff right
0: couple of your daughters so i wondered if uh, you could tell me what they think of tippy and her adventures
1: <laughs> yeah look they they have been wonderful and I've I've said it before. I don't. It wouldn't be the same books if I wasn't a dad and didn't have my daughters. They have been so wonderful. Running lines. I, I made a deliberate choice early on that I wasn't going to use any of their memories as plot or fic, you know any of that. So I have steered clear of that. But I do run the the tippy's lines with them. Say, would you say this word? And if they look at me blankly and go, what? what's that word then I know okay you want it no they're so supportive and proud they I haven't let them read read the books oh, yet okay. yeah, um, fair enough, but, fair enough. but saying that they probably have so no they're very proud and they've just been so wonderful with they know if I if I need to write that's cool they they give me that time
0: Rob, given your incredible success over the last couple of years I wondered if you might share a little about your journey to publication for those aspiring writers out there listening
1: of course so I loved writing ever since I was little and had my first my first words so I could write so I love story and I always have I've always written for myself but it wasn't until 2016 when I did Faber Academy so I did that in Melbourne writing a novel first draft novel part one and part two and at the time I had Patty O'Reilly and Tony Jordan as my tutors and they were incredible and the group that I met we still are all in touch we still workshop each other's work. One of my BFF writing BFFs, was from that class, Catherine Kovacic. Up until 2016, I hadn't shared my work outside of maybe one or two friends with, you know, reading a short story. So it was a pretty massive leap. I also, it wasn't until towards the end of that year I even claimed the title writer, like that's where I was starting from. So through 2016, I... Also, after part one, I was going to stop. I wasn't going to do part two just because life had just piled up as it does. And Tony and Patty were fantastic. And they just said to me, look, if you, we've seen people do this before. If you stop now, you probably won't pick it up again. And they were 1000% right. And I did, you know, I did it life managed to, you know, find a way as it does. I finished my draft. I then uh, was doing different drafts and submitting it to unpublished competitions. So the Victorian Premier's unpublished was the third competition. And I hadn't heard from the first two. And no wonder, because it was like really I'm just kind of cringing like it was probably draft two, but not a great draft two. And I think I might have even put the first draft in the competition. But I was using those competitions as deadlines um, to get the draft. And so I highly recommend them. I mean, always check the terms and conditions, obviously, with these competitions, but they are a wonderful, wonderful way to to start uh, submitting. So I'd done a Frankenstein draft for the VPLAs, and I just honestly didn't expect to hear. And I was working on, and then I got a phone call from one of my writing friends from Faber saying you have been highly commended, and I was just like, "Oh yeah." And I, <laughs> I honestly <laughs> thought it. I honestly thought I was like one of those, you know, because I this I was still learning the industry, whereas um, you know, everyone gets a gold star, and I was just like, "Oh well, that's nice, isn't it?" And she's like, no, no, <laughs> this, you know, this, this is, you're on your way. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was actually from there that I met Grace Heifetz, who became my agent. And then I worked with Grace through her nights and, and nights from other, uh, so from a, a UK agent and a, an American agent, not that I'm published over there, but they provided nights as well, which was awesome. And so then it was twenty eighteen that we submitted, and yeah, got two offers and went with Jane Palferman at Alan E and yeah, worked through the edits and then june twenty nineteen was when it came out, so yeah, when I looked back and I it, was like, I guess before then, and this is the thing I think that emerging writers need to know is before two thousand and six, I had online script writing courses, I had written uh, two first drafts of a film length scripts and they weren't ever going to go anywhere, it was just to, to, you know, a project. And I guess through that, you know, I'd learnt how to put a story together, I'd learnt dialogue, subtext. So all that self-learning before I came to 2016 plus I had 10 years of these characters in my head. So... Even though it sounds quite quick, there's all that work that you do, and it all counts, and and your life experience counts. I think we're seeing it less and less these days, but this idea that if you haven't made it by 30, then forget it, I just think is madness. Like We want to hear from older writers because they have the life experience to bring us those really rich novels so
0: yeah i couldn't agree with you more and it's so so wonderful to hear you talk about your journey i think it's always really interesting to me to hear the steps that writers take to get where they are and you know so many people i think who have entered their unpublished manuscripts in the victorian Premier's awards have come so far yeah absolutely well there are many writers obviously as i've just explained who listen to this podcast so, in addition to your experiences in your journey to publication, I wondered if you had any tips to offer the aspiring writers.
1: It's my number one, and I have to remember this as well <laughs> is, is follow your story and, and trust your story. Like, I think that for me is number one because I think, like, you know, when I came up with the Nancy's and I was writing it, and we, we would do pitching with Faber, which was wonderful because. You know, we got to learn a bit about the industry with Faber Academy, so I can highly recommend it. But, you know, I would have this feedback, oh, well, it's a child protagonist for an adult novel. It's, you know, it could be a bit dark, you know, all of this. And that wasn't coming from Tony or Patty. They were wonderful. They were going, just write it. You need to write it and get it finished. Um <clears throat> So I think it is just trust that. Follow your story. Follow the truth of your story. Don't start to second guess yourself or think what does the market need or, you know, the market's doing this now, maybe I need to do more like that. Because by the time you go on submission, that trend will be over. Or, But, but also your work's going to be inauthentic and readers can pick up on that. And if the reader can pick up on that, then certainly the agent and publisher can. So I think it is that being true to your story which i know sounds maybe a bit esoteric but i think writers know exactly what i'm talking about when i say that
0: okay so you mentioned trilogy at the beginning of our discussion (laughs) so does that mean you're working on number three at the moment
1: so yes um so i'm actually working on a standalone and and then the plan is to jump into number three. Okay. So the standalone is uh, adult crime. Um, so it's sort of my take on uh, you know the golden age of crime where you've got the manor house murder mystery weekend party. So it's a, a take on that. But absolutely, I need <laughs> I need to to write number three and get Tippy's story resolved for Tippy, like. It's one of those ones that, you know, what it's like as a writer, you feel like if you don't write this story, it's going to be around in your head for the rest of your life. So it's also for me to be able to go, there you go, be. I've done it. So, yes, uh, working on sort of that, I will be jumping
0: into that. I should have asked this question of you before, but... Uh, you mentioned when you were when you were thinking about writing Tippy's story, you wanted to write a murder mystery. So I wanted to ask you: Did you always intend to write crime?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I so the the furthest I'd ever got to writing towards a novel was a novella. Again, it was the first draft, and it was it actually was a crime story. It was a police procedural. So I hadn't always set out to write crime, like I enjoy those um, stories. For example, the those two film scripts that I mentioned, one was a horror and one was a a fantasy adventure. Like it was a night and a, a romance between a knight and a viking set in this sort of fantastical land. Anyway, um, now that I've got the Nancy's and like the standalone and you know meeting the crime writing community and they're so fantastic and lovely and the readers and I just feel like there is at the moment I've got you know plenty of stories that I want to tell where I think with crime you have that vehicle to really explore you know some really interesting issues Having that framework to bring the reader along and having that narrative drive, but also to explore bigger societal things. So at this stage, I'm I'm happy to be in that part of the bookshop. Very happy, and um, yeah, not. I and mean, I certainly wouldn't say no to some time. You know, but at the moment, the stories that I've got seem to be coming from that that side of the ledger. So. Yeah.
0: If listeners wanted to find out more about you and your books, where could they do that, Rob?
1: Yeah, so I have a website under RWR and I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at at rwrmcdonald. So yeah, please follow. I I follow back. <laughs> And, yeah, you can keep up to date with what's going on there.
0: Rob, I enjoyed reading Nancy Business immensely. I'm now going to go back and read the Nancys because I absolutely must. I wish you every success with it and the others that will no doubt follow. Thank you so much for joining me on Talking Aussie Books this morning.
1: Thank you so much, Claudine. I really loved it.
0: Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.